What are you waiting for? From Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. As a child, one of the most difficult parts of Christmas was simply waiting for the day to come so you can open your presents and all of that. And sometimes we used to just gather around the tree and try and cheat and shake the box and that type of thing to have an idea because of the anticipation of what the present was. They could be days, they could be weeks, because it was all about family spending time together. We would leave the city and go to the the family uh, home, you know, for the, the whole, the, the relos where my grandparents brought up their kids some 60 kilometres away and they'd be cooking, would be making the dough for the, the bread and, and, and all of that and just spend time with the cousins and, and a glorious time of childhood around Christmas time. We anticipated it so much. One of the things about being a child is that time doesn't run quickly. It seemed to stand still. You're full of energy. You're full of enthusiasm for life, for the zest for life. You're just so eager. Everything seems, however, to run so slow. Waiting is foreign to our modern society. We hunger for immediate gratification, so it seems unnatural to have to wait. The idea of delayed satisfaction is stranger to our thinking. When we say that young people, you need to wait to get married before you start having intimacy or relations with another person, then that is too much. We don't want to wait. Just look around us. The signs of our unwillingness to wait are everywhere. The fast food industry, boom, because we don't have time to eat. Not only is there a fast food business, but there is a drive-through business because it's not even... We don't have time to even wait to get out of the car to order at the counter. We just want to drive through as quickly as possible. But there are also very serious life-altering matters for which we wait. Of course, an expectant mother has at the most nine months to wait for the delivery of the life that is growing inside of her. At least in this situation, you have a maximum waiting period that you can see that the end is coming. For some people, even people in our church, you know what it's like to wait for test results, for scans, pathology tests. You're waiting for recovery. You're waiting for health to return. Some are waiting for a marriage to be restored relationships. Some are waiting for the prodigals to come back home, to stop their life of living away in the pigsty and to come to some normality in their life. I, like you, accept most of our, I live in it, no wait approach to life. But the truth is that though we do not like waiting Waiting is actually a part of living. 
And especially this time of year, you've seen it in the shops, you've got to be prepared to wait in line, the checkout and the traffic and the parking and so on and so forth. The first thing I want to say this morning is that God is waiting. God is waiting. Scripture time and time again tells us that God's clock is wound up in a different way to ours. As we read in scriptures, one day is like a thousand years. That already tells you that his schedule is different. He created time and therefore resides outside of time. Time is different to him and to us. We look at seconds, he looks at ages. Waiting, not hurrying, is one of his characteristics. And this waiting God tells his people that often they too must wait because it is a sign of our imitation of God, the imitators of God. And waiting is part of that call that we have in our lives that we also have to wait. Consider this, it took God five days to create the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon and every living thing. One day later, he fashioned man in his image before the fall, six days. But ever since then, ever since the fall, God has been working on restoring us to him. And he's doing that one life at a time. The beauty of the incarnation is that God stepped into, even though he resides outside of time, he stepped into time, our time, and experienced our humanity in human flesh. The Apostle Peter reminds us in his letter of the patience of God. 1 Peter 3.20 God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. A hundred years. There was this man getting old, preaching and the people did not want to listen. And But behind it all was God waiting. God waiting for the people to change. In, the next, in his next letter, in the second letter, the Apostle Peter once again reminds us of the reason for God's patience. It's interesting that Peter talks about patience and endurance and all of that, Peter being very impetuous, Peter being the knucklehead who couldn't wait for anything. Here he is. An older, wiser shepherd, Peter. He's longing for the day of the Lord. And we looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The longer that God takes to send Jesus the second time in glory, it means that the gospel can go to more people. It can reach more people. Then more people can come to salvation. The Lord's patience means Salvation. Now, if God is waiting, he has very good reasons for doing so. There's a traditional Hebrew story. This is not in scripture. I just have to say that. It is a Hebrew tale about a 
a well-known character from the Old Testament. It says that uh, Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man, weary from age and journey, coming toward him. Abraham rushed out, greeted him and then invited him into his tent. And there he washed the old man's feet and gave him food and drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked him, don't you worship God? And the old traveller replied, I worship fire and uh, reverence no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became incensed, grabbed the old man by the shoulders and threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. And when the old man departed, God called in, God called to his friend Abraham and asked whether the strange, where the stranger was. And Abraham replied, I forced him out because he didn't worship you. And God answered, I have suffered him these 80 years although he dishonours me and you couldn't endure him for one night. One night. We see the things happening around in our world, the rise of paganism, the godlessness. We see all that around us and we become incensed with a lot of the stuff that is happening, the redefinition of marriage and gender and all of that. It's, it's blind stupidity. And we become incensed as believers and say, what is going on? And it is exactly in these times that God calls for us to endure patiently, to keep trusting him because ultimately he is in control. God is, in, God is waiting. Secondly, creation is waiting. Romans 8 verses 19 and 22 The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And then he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In our series in Genesis, we we looked at how in Genesis 3, sin brought four curses on Satan, or the snake, Adam, Eve, and then the whole of the earth itself was cursed. The very beautiful, perfect world that God created suffered as a victim of the rebellion of man. Everything that lives is now subject to decay, to disease. Animals, birds, fish, flowers, trees, everything living is tainted to a large degree. That's why some folk find it really hard to believe in God. It isn't easy to connect the diseases and warrings of animals with human sin. And yet we know that because of the fall, this earth is under the curse from God. To Adam, God said in Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the ground because of you. Nature groans in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. Creation is in bondage of decay and it's it's, it's groaning, it's, it's, it's waiting for its liberation. 
It's waiting for the freedom of the children of God. When it says here that is this eager expectation, it's, it's, it's the picture of this, this kid standing on, on tiptoes behind a line in a, in a parade trying to, trying to get a glimpse of who it is that is coming on tiptoes, the expectation, the anticipation of the main stars. And this is another, another one of those remarkable passages of Scripture which takes us a while to get your head around. But it all makes sense. Let me explain. Just as an example. All nature is singing. But by and large, it is singing a sad song. Sad songs are the type of songs that you want to hear when you've fallen out of love and now the types of songs that Elton John likes to sing. Um, songs of bondage and sadness when we feel depressed and all that type of thing. And it's not the song of, of hope. But songs, and yet there is a song of hope in nature. Paul says that, that we're going to step into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Those of you who are musically minded might gather and might, might, might see, you just simply, you, you hear and, and, and you point out the fact that the song of nature is in a minor key. Listen to the, the sighing of the wind, the roaring of the tide, the birds that are singing. Listen to a lonely wolf howling in the night air. It is a sad song. Even you, get, you play some of these videos you see on Facebook and stuff like this and there's a dog playing a piano and he hits a note and then he sings. Just, just another note. Same thing. It's, it's a sad howling type of song. Who put that song in their heart? Who taught them that? It's a sad song. All nature is groaning and the evidence is around us. And the intensity and the frequency of hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and floods and tidal waves and famine, and these are all unmistakable markers. Yes! Yes, the scientists and the greenies and everybody else, they're going to say it's got to do with human-induced anthropomorphic climate change. It's our fault. Yes, it is our fault, but it goes back to Genesis 3. It's not, it's not our fault because of what is happening now. And Jesus told us that these things would, would certainly intensify. They would increase in frequency and in intensity as his second coming draws near, the groaning is going to become louder and louder. But the good news is yet to come. The good news is yet to come. And the Apostle Paul here draws the picture of, of a mother in the final moments. The nine months are happening. They're coming and, and the, 
the, the birth pains are beginning. It's going to happen. And everybody's getting excited. Welcoming a new life. It's part and parcel of the pain which intensifies before the final delivery. And for us as believers, what is the final delivery? The new heavens and the new earth. What a glorious vision it is. What a glorious, marvellous vision it is. Next, God's children are waiting, verses 23 to 25. But we ourselves, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We know what growing inwardly is, right? Get up in the morning. Oh. Oh. You know, that groaning. Oh, stop groaning. I can't help it. It's part of this thing called age and decay. Creaking and, and all of that, that. That's all part of that, that, that groaning. There is, and it's verse 24, it says, for in this hope, and suddenly... From the groaning, it turns to hope. So we don't despair. We don't just sort of give up. He jumps into verse 24 and says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? If you've already opened your present a few days before Christmas, the surprise is gone. What hope have you got? No, it's already revealed. You, you, your, hope, you, your, your hope is gone. You've blown it. I'm sorry, child. I know, I know. At eight years of age, you learn to be frustrated. But that's it. But we, we're always hoping for that which we do not have. For verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, what do we do? We wait for it patiently. I don't want to wait. But we have to. We wait patiently. There is, for me, a certain attraction about people who have an uncomplicated, honest, simple faith. I've known them most of my life. And I admire that, especially when it comes from the lips of an old saint who has seen it all, been there, done that, all the ups and downs of youth, the tumultuous youth and all of that has come through and, 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 and they're getting there. And, and the words of encouragement, the inspiration were the Simplicity of a, a childlike faith that Jesus spoke about. Surrendering, it all starts surrendering our lives to Christ. That's the first crucial step. But that is just the beginning of this lifelong walk with Christ. The journey. 
And in that journey, the purposes of God often develop slowly because his grand designs are never hurried. They never are. The great preacher Philip Brooks, who um, incidentally wrote O Little Town of Bethlehem, he was noted for his poise and quiet manner. At times, however, he was frustrated and irritable, cranky. One day a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor like a, a caged lion. What's the trouble, Mr Brooks? he asked. And he responded, he says, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. I can relate to that. Let me share with you from the Christmas story a wonderful example of what patiently waiting for God to act looks like. I want to take you to Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 33. Waiting in hope. This is what it looks like. No better example for me in the Christmas story. Waiting in hope. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 33. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. I don't know how many of you can actually relate to Simeon and the experience that he went through. There you are, year after year, hoping for something, something that always seemed beyond your reach. But you know that the moment, you know, is, is yet to come, but when it will happen, when it does eventually happen, you know that this is the, the culmination of all that weight, of all that anticipation and anticipation. It's here, it's happened, it's right now. Here it is. A few years ago, I uh, took my daughter and then I took my son to see the Iguazu Falls in Paraguay. Well, that's actually between, strictly speaking, it's between Argentina and Brazil. But Paraguay just gets thrown in there, by the way. Now, I had talked up the whole thing. I explained to her what it was like and all of that. I had been there previously a few times. And she knew that from the roar of the sound kilometres away that something was coming from the spray and all of that. But the moment that she set her eyes on this, 
It was far beyond anything that I could possibly describe to her. Beyond the possible expectation, beyond any possible build-up. You know, yeah, Dad, you know, you build it up and then it's nothing, I know. No, no, this, this is way beyond. This is way beyond anything that she had seen. For several minutes she was dumbstruck, paralysed, as this whole thing just unravelled before her eyes. I said, oh wow, you weren't kidding. This is amazing. She was crying, she was emotionally overwhelmed at the sight of one of the great wonders of God's creation. That just captures a little glimpse of what good old Simeon experienced at that moment. The greatest problem for us is that in sin that we live in and the frustration and the pain and toil of everyday life, we lose that sense of wonder of God, of hope, of anticipation, of expectation, of just being wowed by God. Can I plead with you to work hard at regaining it? Because when that moment arrives, you will, and God reveals His wonder to you, and Jesus is coming down in the clouds with the thunder and the trumpet and everything else, and you'd be standing there, oh, look at that, Jesus is coming back. No! It's not going to be like that at all! Okay? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess and the whole world will just be stunned. Silence. At what God is doing. I take my hat off for Simeon because he, he didn't give in to the frustration. The, oh, here it is again, another baby. You know, waiting for it. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. These Romans are taken over as the injustice of it all. Where is the hope? Where is everything that you have promised, Lord? It's not happening. It's not happening. You know, he, was, he wasn't the only one. There were many others around Israel who were waiting for God's deliverance. But the way it just kept going, it was hundreds of years now that God had promised his deliverance and it wasn't happening. But the Bible, the way the Bible describes it, there was a certain intensity in his heart, in his life, a certain yearning that he stood out amongst the others because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him. And he believed the Holy Spirit. And his heart was filled with hope that you are not going to die before you see God's deliverance, before you see God's salvation. And he clung, he clung on to that. Dear life. That's why I love this old man. Something special. He had been revealed something special. Like I said, he must have seen hundreds, possibly thousands of baby dedications go through the temple throughout his life. You can imagine him seeing these babies and 
oh, another baby. No, not the one. And another baby and another one. At the end, I know all babies just look the same. I know your baby's special just like I'm special and all of that, but come on. It wasn't the one. I know, we all think our kids are going to be the Messiah. No, this was going to be the, the one. How long has he been doing this? For decades. Did he ever stop believing the promise from God? I think not. I think not. And one particular day, it all happened. The Bible tells us that moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. Mate, you've got to go to the temple today. You've got to go. You've got to be there. All right, here we go. And when he saw the baby, he saw it straight away that this was it. It doesn't get any better than this. He knew that he was, what he was waiting for was, was there. It had arrived. The hopes and fears of all these years are met in this baby here. Now, the, the, the fulfilment in, in the most complete, complete sense of the word. No wonder he said, I can die now. There are a few times in our lives when you see something and you say, okay, I can go to heaven now. I've seen it, I've seen it, that's it. But this he really meant it. In verse, in verse 29 to 31 it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have promised in the sight of all the people. Now you might have promised this to all the people everywhere. And everybody's been waiting for hundreds of years. But I have seen it. I'm here. I, I can look at it and say, my goodness, it's here. It, you've given me this privilege. From his birth, you see, Jesus was attracted to the insignificant people of the day. Simeon and, of course, the other person there was Anna, another simple older folk devoted to God for just about all of their lives. They are not the professional religious types doing their duties out of whatever for power, for glory and everything else. They're just there serving at the temple, doing their duties, not for any other glory than the glory of God. And, 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 and like, I love that language, is that you now dismiss your servant in peace. It's like a soldier standing guard, right? Lord, I've, I've done my duty. Can I, can I please be dismissed? And the Lord says to him, you're now dismissed. You've done your duty well, old fellow. These are the lay people. Loving, serving God. They take God at his word. Poor, simple, uncomplicated, but in tune with God. They know what's going on. They know what's going on. They know what it is to love God with all their heart and waiting on him. 
for his salvation. Don't overcomplicate your faith to the point that you question everything in God's word. Don't overcomplicate your faith where you feel that whatever it is you do in church feels, you know, nobody's giving you thanks for it. Who are you doing it for? You're doing it for me? For the board, for the church, for the deacons? Who are you doing it for? We do all that we do, we do it for the glory of God. As we wait for his salvation. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? We are not waiting for something more to come, not yearning, not looking forward, standing in tiptoe every year. If your heart has not been broken by the pain of injustice, by the pain of a mad driver driving through the crowds in Melbourne, if your heart is not broken by a world that is, is hell-bent on rejecting God, there has to be something wrong. We inwardly groan and wait for God's deliverance. We need to regain hope, to cling on to God, to his promises, Let us not settle down too comfortably because this world is not our home. The future belongs most fully, most perfectly, most completely to those who wait on God and his salvation. Christ's coming at the first Christmas was the marvellous signal that God's kingdom was here. And his second coming might only be a few sleeps away. It's closer every day until our final deliverance from all of this. But we wait in hope. And we continue to serve. And we continue to marvel at God's salvation. And then one day, one day, at his coming or at our going, we can say like good old Simeon, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Amen.